I'm Jorge Salazar with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. The spacefaring Romulans of Star Trek science fiction have inspired some astrophysicists to develop cosmological simulations called Romulus C, where the C stands for Galaxy Cluster. With a focus on black hole physics, Romulus C has produced some of the finest resolution simulations ever of galaxy clusters, which can contain hundreds or even thousands of galaxies. On Star Trek, the Romulans powered their spaceship with an artificial black hole. In reality, it turns out that black holes can drive the formation of stars and the evolution of whole galaxies. An October 2019 study yielded results from Romulus CE simulations published in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. Supercomputer simulations help probe the ionized gas within and surrounding the intracluster medium, which fills the space between galaxies in a galaxy cluster. The Stampede 2 supercomputer at TAC and the Comet supercomputer at the San Diego Supercomputer Center played a role through allocations awarded by EXCEED, the Extreme Science and Engineering Discovery Environment, funded by the National Science Foundation. The scientists also used the NASA Pleiades supercomputer, eventually completing the simulation on the Blue Water System at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. Joining the podcast are two study co-authors, Irina Butsky and Tom Quinn, both in the Department of Astronomy at the University of Washington. Irina Butsky is a PhD student, and Tom Quinn is a professor of astronomy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Could you please tell us a little bit about the main findings of your study that simulated the cool and warm molecular gas that's within galaxy clusters? Yeah, um, I'd love to answer that question. And I'm going to start out by kind of clarifying what cool and warm mean in this context. So it's a uh, gas that spans between 10,000 and a million degrees Kelvin. What we found are, can be broken down into three main components. So we find that there's a substantial amount of this cool warm gas in galaxy clusters. We see that this gas traces extremely different and complementary structures to the gas compared to the hot gas. And we also predict that this cool, warm component can be observed now uh, with existing instruments like the HST um, cost spectrograph. Would you mind uh, describing what are these structures that you're talking about? And the HST meaning that's the Hubble Space Telescope? Yes, that's the Hubble Space Telescope. The hot part of the intercluster medium is very, well, roughly uniform in metallicity and fills the inner part of the galaxy cluster, but this cool warm gas has a lot more varied amounts of metals and it exists mostly at the cluster outskirts and has a very patchy distribution. So it traces uh, the process of galaxies falling into the cluster, losing their gas. That gas gets stripped from that galaxy and eventually mixes in with the inner region of the galaxy cluster. This intra-cluster medium, um, could you tell us what that is and why um, scientists such as yourselves and others, too, are eager to study it? So the intra-cluster medium fills the space between galaxies in a galaxy cluster. And this is a key difference between galaxies that reside in a galaxy cluster and galaxies that are more isolated field galaxies. And so galaxies that are in a galaxy cluster have to move through this dense, hot medium, the intercluster medium. And as they move through it, they often lose their gas. And 
the gas that they lose then goes back into the intercluster medium and enriches it. And so it's by studying the structure of the intercluster medium, we can put the pieces of the puzzle together and try to understand how these galaxies lose their gas and at what time and how it mixes to enrich the overall cluster. Um, what role does this feeding of this gas into the cluster do? What is it? What's happening? It's a great question. Um, so all galaxies need to be able to form stars in order to stay what's considered to be alive. And so if galaxies don't have a constant supply of gas from somewhere, then they stop forming stars and they die off. And what we observe in galaxy clusters is that they have a much larger fraction of dead galaxies than more isolated galaxies. And so the way in which galaxies lose their gas in a galaxy cluster is a really important question that like, we want to understand. And so one of the ways that the galaxies can lose gas is directly related to the intercluster medium due to ram pressure stripping. So galaxies that are moving you know, around the cluster feel like a headwind force from just the movement that they are doing through this thick intercluster medium gas. And so that sometimes that force can be so strong that it really rips out all of the gas from the galaxy forming like a jellyfish tail. What is the, like, the nearest example of this um, to us from here on Earth? So the nearest cluster of galaxies is the Virgo cluster. And um, we actually see what we call jellyfish galaxies. So you see a normal spiral galaxy and it's falling into the cluster. But around that galaxy, as it's falling into the cluster, you see a jellyfish type shape. That is uh, an, an envelope of, of gas that is being stripped off as the galaxy falls into the cluster. Would you speak to um, uh, connecting this, uh, the simulation work that you've done on supercomputers and computer clusters? Could you tell us how you use simulation, basically, to help understand what's being measured through instruments, such as this ultraviolet uh, instrument on aboard the Hubble Space Telescope that you mentioned, the, uh, the cosmic origin spectrograph? So one really cool thing about simulations is that we know what's going on everywhere inside the simulated box. And so we can make synthetic observations and compare them to what we actually see in absorption spectra and then kind of connect the dots. If we match the spectra that's observed, we can try to understand what must really be going on from the simulated box. And so to create the synthetic spectra, we mimic doing an absorption line study. So we draw a line of sight through the box, just one ray, and then using what we know about atomic physics and uh, the state of the gas at each point along that ray, we can make an absorption profile. And then uh, there's this really cool tool called Trident that was developed by Cameron Hummels and his collaborators that takes that spectra and makes it as realistic as possible. So it uses the details of the Hubble Space Telescope and how it observes and the you know, different kind of quarks it has and maybe wavelength dependence and applies that to the synthetic spectrum. You can also add fake noise or like expected contamination from the Milky Way. 
And so the end result is a very realistic looking spectrum that we can directly compare to existing observations. But what we can't do with observations is reconstruct kind of 3D information from a 1D spectrum. And so that's the truth. What's bridging the gap between observations and simulations? Yeah, if I can provide a little more background. So the way the Hubble observations work is that the the Hubble is using a background light source uh, to probe the intracluster medium. So you just get this one line of sight through the cluster based on where the quasar is behind the cluster. And it's sort of like use I'm trying to think of an analogy, like it's like an avalanche probe, right? You can't really see, but you you know you poke the probe down through the snow, and really to know what's down there, you need a model of okay, what does the probe feel like when it's going through snow or ice, or what it feels like when it hits a body, right? Um, but <laughs> but the point is that it's very limited information, and you need sort of a physical model of what's going on underneath the snow to really understand what you're feeling when you do the probe. So that, that's an analogy, and I, I think it's pretty accurate. You get this one line of sight, and now you have to understand and you know, draw inferences about, as Arena said, the full 3D cluster. What is the cluster telling scientists about how galaxies are changing and evolving? The most important thing that clusters tell us about galaxy evolution is the importance of a galaxy's environment on its evolution. Um, because galaxies that aren't in clusters live relatively undisturbed, um, but galaxies in clusters have a lot of different interactions. So they feel tidal forces from the largest galaxy in the cluster. Um, they are much more likely to either merge or interact with other galaxies as they're flying around uh, the galaxy cluster and they're much more likely to lose gas through both of these processes and through ramp pressure stripping uh, as this applies through the intercluster medium and so um, it paints a very different picture of galaxy evolution when um, the supply of gas is constantly interrupted would you speak to uh, some of the computational challenges that you faced in modeling these galaxy clusters at what's been described to another colleague, um, Michael Tremel? He's described these simulations as being um, at unprecedented scales. Yeah, so just to provide context, so Michael is also a collaborator on this project. So I'm talking about essentially the same simulations here. Or as Arena pointed out, that uh, important thing is that the gas that is making up the intracluster medium, you know, originates at least partly in the galaxies. And so we've got to model how that gas gets out of the galaxies, which is happening through supernova going off and supernova come from young stars. We have to have sufficient resolution that we're following the star formation and supernova, we call it feedback, within a galaxy. And that happens on the molecular cloud scale, which is roughly a million solar masses. But this all happens, right? The, the cluster itself is much larger. It's like 
100 trillion solar masses. So you have this dynamic range of, well, of order a billion or so uh, that you have to to follow. And that's uh, computational in, in itself, just following that dynamic range in mass. And then, you know, the cluster doesn't form in isolation, right? There's the, the surroundings. And furthermore, the work that Arena is doing or we were doing, it, we want to see how galaxies change as they approach the cluster. So we need to f follow some of the cluster's environments. So that's order of magnitude, more stuff to follow. And then the cluster doesn't form in isolation, right? It's part of a larger scale cosmology. And so we have to have that cosmological context around as we're modeling the galaxy. So you get this huge range in scale, and that just demands a lot of computing, a lot of resolution. And then there's a challenge that's particular to clusters, and that is most of the computational action is happening at the very center of the cluster. And so even though we're simulating a much larger volume, most of the computation is happening at a particular spot. And so there's a challenge of, as you're trying to simulate this on a large supercomputer with tens of thousands of cores, how do you distribute that computation across those cores? And that's a particular challenge that's particular to clusters. Would you speak a little bit to the Romulus simulation um, and maybe in particular the Romulus C version that you used in simulating these clusters? Okay, so I got to first tell you the background of the name. So we're, you know, we're all science fiction geeks. So in one of the Star Trek movies, the Romulans develop a black hole drive. So the black hole physics, that is the, the physics of the supermassive black holes that we believe are in the center of pretty much every galaxy is sort of a key part of these simulations. I promise I will not ask you any questions about warp drive. Okay. Right, so again, background. We detect and even image, right? You've seen the images of the supermassive black hole at the center of the Virgo cluster that was released a couple months ago. And our own Milky Way, uh, we have uh, evidence that there's a supermassive black hole in there. And we have strong evidence that these supermassive black holes at the centers of galaxies are strongly correlated with the star formation that's happening in the rest of the galaxy. And so with this set of Rhinos simulations, we were particularly focused on how black holes are affecting the overall evolution of galaxies. First, in the Romulus, what we call Romulus 25, that's a sort of average density part of the universe. And then the Romulus C, we picked a cluster of galaxies to study how black holes affect star formation, galaxy evolution within an individual cluster. Dr. Quinn, would you speak a little bit to Exceed, um, some of the Exceed resources that you used? Well, all right. So first of all, I'm a long-time Exceed user. I think my, even before it was Exceed, right? I, I started using uh, these NSF facilities back in 1995, I think. And so over the course of my career, right, NSF's ability to provide high-end computing 
has helped the overall development of the simulation code that produces. So there's this parallel codes take a while to develop and Exceed has been supporting me throughout that development period. You know, access to high-end machines, access to a variety of high-end machines has helped with the development of the simulation code. To be particular for the Romulus set of simulations, so Romulus C actually started out as sort of a proof of concept with the friendly user time on Stampede 2, when the uh, Knight's Landing processors first became available. And so I got help from the TAC folks on getting the code running up on these, uh, these 68 cores per chip machines. We then moved that. We couldn't complete the simulation, but we, we did complete the simulation on the NCSA Blue Waters machine. And that's also where the Romulus was run as well. So that's where, where that simulation got uh, completed. But a big part of such a simulation is not just running it, but analyzing it. And so that's where, again, having a variety of different machines, such as XC can provide, helps because, you know, the sort of there's the big data problem that's a little different than the pure HPC problem. And so having, in this case, I'm trying to think of the machines we use. We used uh, Comet to do some of the analysis. I believe we used the NASA Pleiades machine for analysis as well. Uh, we used the, the Ranch data storage to archive these simulations so that we can provide them to our collaborators. We have actually uh, many groups uh, working on analyzing this sim these simulations. So. What we're talking about today is just sort of one paper out of many that is analyzing the results of the simulation. What's next for the research? Well, right, so I kind of mentioned this. So what we're looking at now is essentially more resolution. All right, so since we started these simulations, we've been working on proving how we model the star formation. And of course, we've got more computational power, so just pure higher mass resolution, again, to make our simulations of individual galaxies uh, more realistic. So that's the main thing. And of course, uh, you know, more and bigger clusters would be good too. But uh, right now on Frontera, we're doing runs at higher resolution of individual galaxies. Is that Frontera work related? Is that, is that, this is Romulus C as well, or is it something else? It's the same simulation code, but um, we're not going to call it Romulus because essentially because we're improving both uh, the black hole model and the, and the star formation. The PI on Frontera is Allison Brooks, who's part of our collaboration. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? You sort of touched on this, but one question, if, you, know, you know, why study galaxy clusters at all? And this is from a scientist's point of view rather than a general public. And from a cosmology perspective, clusters are really important for a few reasons. One is, right, they are the biggest objects, right? We, we're going to be using them to map out the universe, looking at, you know, two particular questions. What is the dark energy and what is the dark matter? And clusters of galaxies are going to be important 
in both those questions. You know, for example, the LSST, you know, wants to map these clusters to get uh, basically distance scales in the universe, which is what we need for the dark energy. And then there's the internal structure of clusters, you know, the bullet cluster. I don't know if you've ever seen that picture. Clusters gives us one of the best pieces of evidence that the dark matter is not the stuff you and I are made of, right? It's something other than the standard model particles. And so understanding these big cosmology questions is why uh, galaxies are important. And the other thing is, um, I like to think of clusters as a closed box. Okay, so if I look at a galaxy in isolation and do my modeling, I can blow gas out of the galaxy. In a cluster, I don't have that luxury, right? Whatever uh, gets out of the galaxy is part of the cluster. So there's this interplay that we have to model within a cluster that makes it more challenging than modeling an individual galaxy. What's the most important thing that you'd like people to know about using supercomputers to help understand the cosmos? Well, what I think is really cool about using supercomputers to model the universe is that it plays a very unique role by allowing us to do experiments. So in many of the other sciences, you have a lab where you can test your theories, but in astronomy, you know, you can come up with a pen and paper theory and you can observe uh, the universe as it is, but without simulations, it's very hard to actually run these tests because it's hard to reproduce some of the extreme phenomena in space, both on like temporal scales and also just getting the temperatures and the densities of some of these extreme objects. Um, So I think simulations are extremely important and being able to make progress in theoretical work. You've been listening to Irina Butsky and Tom Quinn of the University of Washington. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar. 